electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. John, thank you very much. And live from the NASDAQ market site in the heart of New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. And here's what's on tap tonight. The Diamond Decree, the head of the country's biggest bank, warning that markets may be, may be making a risky assumption. What he said about what's propping up stocks and what it could mean for investors like you. Plus, China struggles, the ETF that tracks the region off to its worst start to the year since 2016. The latest headlines hitting that country and how you should trade the stocks. And later, a Ford freefall. The stock erasing all of its gains over the past month. Schwab shares sink after saying profit was cut in half in the fourth quarter. And insuring gains, a couple of health names bucking the downtrend in today's market. We'll tell you which ones they are and how to trade them. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Tyler Matheson in for Melissa Lee, coming to you live from the Studio B at the NASDAQ. On the desk tonight, Steve Grasso, Karen Feinerman, and Guy Adam. Welcome, folks. Good to have you all here. All right. Thank you. Good, good to be here, my friends. And we start with stocks trying to mount a late-day rebound. Major indexes all closing, though, well off their lows of the day, with the NASDAQ erasing most of a 1.6% decline, ending the day down half a percent. The Dow finished just about a quarter of a percent lower. But take a look at rates. The two-year popping nearly 12 basis points, biggest jump in over a month, and closing near its highs of the day. The move causing the yield curve to reinvert sharply. Uh, and then there was this warning from J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon over in Davos. I think it's a mistake to assume that everything's hunky-dory. And, you know, and when stock markets are up, it's kind of like this little drug we all feel. Like, it's just great. You know? But remember, we've had so much fiscal and monetary stimulation. So I'm a little more on the cautious side that we are facing a lot of things in, 20, in 24 or 25. I just want Guy to recognize that Mr. Diamond used a phrase I haven't heard Let's, in which is maybe <laughs> decades, hunky and that dory. would be hunky-dory. Come on, Tyler. Uh, use hunky, I don't use hunky-dory a lot. Yeah. I'm telling you, I just don't use it. But he's cool enough to put it Well, you went off. to school in Virginia. I mean, yeah. you're a gentleman. That's something you probably said. That everything is hunky Your mom dory. called you. Tyler, how are you doing in class? Everything is hunky-dory, Mom. Did you see how cool he looked, though, with just yes. the gloves on? Just the gloves. You know what that looks like, though? It looks like a diamond thief. And get it? Diamond thief. Yeah, I just talk about what I'm looking on. Very uh, cool looking, but go ahead, take I mean, well, let me else. just say, though, oh, go ahead. I look at him and I see, yeah, hunky. Hunky. Ah, hunky, Dory. Uh-huh. No, just hunky. <laughs> what do you, is he got well, I mean, there with scarves and hats. Yeah, and like, he's bulky. It looks like a Michelin man. Like he's I'm climbing Mount that. Everest. I mean, Jamie's there. He's going to a spot. Wearing shorts, too. <laughs> I, I'm with him, with Jamie Dimon. You're with Dimon. Look, you look at the market and everything seems fantastic. Last couple days notwithstanding, but leading economic indicators now down, I think, 21 months in a row. I mean, historically, that has not been a good harbinger for the economy. Money supply has been slowing, or I should say, contracting now for quite some time. And if you look around the surface, look around the edges, I mean, there are things that should be concerning. However, through the lens of the stock market, I think people are 
in my opinion, mistakenly thinking maybe we've gotten through things. I still think yields go higher. I think that there's some dark spots in 2024. And what Jamie Dimon said sort of galvanizes a lot of my well, thoughts. Well, the market's been down most of this year so far, most of, two, three most weeks of 24. In. Three weeks yeah. in. It's early. The game is early. But the market may be signaling something, or is it not? Well, I think, you know, it's always the, the you can look at it, glass is half empty, glass is half full, however you want to slice it. But if you, you would be hard-pressed to pick a time when Jamie has been positive on the economy. And I think that's what he does, right? He sets expectations very low. We don't want, do you remember back before the financial crisis? There were a lot of people who thought we would never have a down year in the market. We would never have a down day in the market. Pie in the sky people. They were the ones who looked the silliest. And I think because he was the one that was there at that point, he's the only one left that was there at that point. He sees things very differently than we do. Now, he's very realistic. So, I, so I'm not saying that everything that he's worried about is not a fantasy or a nightmare, if you will. But to Guy's point, if all these things are slowing, that to me means the Fed did its job. I think that's actually a positive. Landing the plane. Yeah. But, but the retail sales number is pretty good, right? Yeah. They're pretty good. They were pretty good. I think I actually am a little bit more optimistic that things are still pretty good. I think that I, I totally agree. It's Diamond's job. He's a lender, right? Best case, they get all the money back. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Uh, for much of his business, but I think it's remember his meteorology days when mm-hmm. he was Moynihan was like, yeah, a little storm. He was like, ah, oh, hurricane is coming, a yeah. hurricane, tornado, whatever it was, is coming. I think that's just his nature. But he does bring up the good point that we haven't yet faced, which is this deficit situation. It will come home to roost. Mm-hmm. Only the question is when. We don't know. He seemed to think it was a couple of years off. I don't know. I, I think that. That, to me, didn't sound like diamond super pessimistic. Yeah, no. It sounds like cautionary diamond. Yeah, that's you say watch yields, do you think they're going higher? I do, but I've listen, I've been wrong for that for a while. But we have gone from, listen, we went from 5 to 3.8. Here we are, you know, either side of 405 up to 410. Yeah. So they have been, I think, going higher in the wake of a lot of rhetoric. And I think a lot of people, I watched Steve Leisman today in the afternoon. He's sort of in the not March camp in terms of rate cuts. Yeah, he said he's, May. He, he said did. May. And I'm sort of, he's probably right. He might be a little earlier with that as well. I don't see... There's nothing compelling to me that would force them. Well, force them I, right, that's why? what I ask. Why? 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 It's giving away for free, sort of. Why yeah. would they do why that? Why would you cut right and now? So you the, don't need to. You don't need to. And I, I'm not quite sure. You know, this level of the S&P 500 to me suggests the best possible outcome. And I'm still hard-pressed to believe we can get there. All right. Let's uh, take a, a little quick turn here. Uh, some strong data out on the housing trade today. The NAHB's housing market index improving in January, rising to its highest level since September. That's because mortgage rates have pulled back from recent highs. Still, builders were largely down today in the market, with Toll Brothers leading the losses. Diana Olick has the details on this morning's numbers. Hi, Di. Hey, Taya, and actually two sets of data out this morning show consumers are getting back into the housing market thanks to the recent drop in mortgage interest rates. Um, the, uh, the Mortgage uh, Bankers Association reported that mortgage applications to buy a home jumped 9% last week compared with the previous week. They were still 20% lower than the same week one year ago, but they have been rising steadily for the past few weeks. Now, 
Mortgage rates last topped out around 8% in October and now back in the 6% range, although they did make a move higher this week to now 6.88%, and that's the highest since December 13th. In addition, we saw a big beat on home builder sentiment in January. It jumped 7 points to 44 on the NAHB's monthly index. The street was looking for just a two-point gain. Anything below 50 is still considered negative, but it has now moved 10 points higher in the last two months, and it is now at the highest level since September. Builders say it's all about the lower rates. Of course, tomorrow we'll get a read on how all this new confidence is playing into housing starts and building permits. Tyler? All right, Diana, thanks very much. Let's trade some whole builders. Uh, Steve, what do you think here? So when you did that intro, I'm just looking at performance. And when you when you called out uh, Toll Brothers, oh. Toll Brothers for the last 52-week performance is up 76%. But for the last, 30, uh, last three months, it's up 36%. So these, these guys, all of them, so if you look at Palti, KB, Lenar, the lowest they've been up in the last three months has been 35%. The highest is 41%. So I think they got a little ahead of themselves. But they've had great performance. I don't think you should throw them all out, but maybe just take a step back and let it breathe a little bit. What a year. It was a bad year for them in 2022. They came back, and they were one of the leading groups, right, of 2023. Yep. Does, it, does it sustain this year? Well, the thing that's interesting about it, I mean, it's a giant rate bet at this yeah. point, and it had that very unusual situation where existing home sale, existing homes wouldn't come on the market because the mortgages were too cheap. People didn't want to sell them. That's a great environment. Mm -hmm. and I mean, the mortgages were too high. People didn't want to sell. Right. New yeah. Yes. Yeah. So you they had, had a cheap mortgage. So you had no supply, and all you had was new inventory. Was and so, I mean, you couldn't have created a better picture for them. But to me, it's just a giant rate bet. And if you are pessimist, if you think rates go higher, I don't know how this sector stays, stays elevated. Where it is. If you look do at the you runs own any October, of them? I don't, although I do own Zillow, which is, you know, that it, a real play, estate play related. Right. So not quite as rate sensitive, but that's sort of my biggest real estate. If you bet. think rates are going to go up, you, this would not be where you would be putting money. No, it? but I'll say this. In tw last year, rates were going up significantly, and we were across the board bullish from home builders for the reasons that Karen just cited. So I understand that to a certain extent it is a, a rate play without question. It's also an employment play as well. So if the unemployment rate starts ticking up, I think that's going to be problematic. And I'll just throw this out there because I'm sure we'll have breaking news. But Discover Financial just reported DFS. In a word, an absolute disaster. But why do I mention it? Because if you look at it, credit, credit provisions for losses, $1.9 billion. It's up a billion dollars year over year. I mean, they missed EPS by about a buck, $1.54 versus $2.51. Across the board, they're telling a Ooh. much different narrative Ooh. about the consumer than maybe the retail sales today. So this is all part of a narrative. If the, if the unemployment rate starts ticking higher, if the consumer gets scared, those home builder stocks, which have had a huge tailwind, will no longer have that. And, and ju just a, a button up on this conversation. The reason why the home builders <clears throat> actually outperformed was that they were buying, they were helping buy down those mortgage rates. So you can't do that forever. That was obviously uh, crimping their margins. But that was something, to Karen's point, why new home sales were more important than existing home sales for them. All right. Let's move on to uh, energy now as we skip around just a bit. A mixed day for crude prices with WTI and Brent settling in opposite directions as a weaker GDP print out of China stoked concerns about demand. That move, coupled with ongoing concerns in the Red Sea, have ripple effects on energy equities. The OIH Oil Services ETF 
There you go. That is your alphabet soup. Uh, dropping a half percent, touching its lowest level in six months. Joining us now to go inside the move, Paul Sankey, president of Sankey Research. When you were here just a minute ago, I barely recognized you. You were all bundled up. You looked like one of those Kansas City fans, not Taylor Swift the other night, but you looked like one of the Kansas City fans. Yeah, it's freezing out there, right? So, yeah. So, under... For much of my life, if there was anything that was going wrong in the Red Sea, oil prices shot up. Yeah, that's Stuff is going wrong in the Red Sea, and they're not shooting up. Right, and it's a concern for people. And by the way, we have the same thing with, with freezing weather and natural gas prices are not reacting that well. So mm. I think it's been disappointing to oil bulls, if you want, that uh, you know we've seen, as you say, a, a direct attacks on shipping, the rerouting yeah. of shipping. So that alone is going to cause more time for the oil to move around the world and higher costs, obviously. And yet here we are. You know, here we are at prices that aren't markedly higher than they were six months ago. Right. And that, but that's another point. I mean, we're still at about $75 Brent. We're still in excess of $70 WTI. So on the other hand, it's not the end of the world. You know, I mean, these are good prices for these oil companies that really start worrying towards 60 Last time, maybe a couple of months ago, I was on here talking about maybe Saudi needs to flush this market, mm. you know, and, and, and in that case, they would be taking it down, I think, below 60. If we're at 75 Brent, you know, you're going to see very good cash returns from the oils this year. Supply is ample, right? Supply is ample, yeah, because of the spec capacity in Saudi Arabia and UAE. So you've got two or three. And again, this is another thing that we would never have seen 20 years ago, that you've got 102 million barrels a day of oil demand. You know, all-time record highs, and yet you still have three or four million barrels a day of spare capacity, and that's simply an overhang on the sector and on the price. Karen? So you just said something about um, making money over 60. Where does it start to be where the equities really get worried prior to 60, I would think? Yeah, what they would do, I think, for example, BP changed CEO or at least confirmed the CEO today. That everything for them is planned at 60, so they're guiding towards $4 billion of buyback at $60 oil. Um, you know, they already pay a 4% yield. So you're getting towards a 9 or 10% yield from BP at 60. Now, they may pay down more debt in the case of BP. They may pay more cash out to shareholders. But essentially, 60 is kind of the working number for the industry. Additionally, if you look at the marginal reinvestment decision for US EMPs and the Permian, they talk about 60. So that's why it may be that we need to get below 60 to really calm down U.S. supply growth, which is essentially part of the problem with oil and a big problem, part of the problem with natural gas. Too much supply from these U.S. companies that are just doing a great job. Steve? So, so I, I get all of that. Just help me through this process, because when I look at Exxon, I look at Chevron, and I look at the M&A, all four of those stocks are below where the announcement was. So I get the whole idea of the acquirer usually trades lower, the acquiree trades higher. All of them are lower. So we've had the times where they were correlated. I'm trying to break the correlation between oil that could fall and the stocks that could run. Right. I just don't see it happening. Why do you think there's been such lackluster performance out of the merger, merger uh, business with the four names that I mentioned? Well, it's a tough one. I mean, I think the first thing is they paid with stock, right? So as soon as you pay with stock, both companies become linked to one another. And as the, as the sector's sold off, then the, the price of the deal simply goes down. And we've seen many deals here at relatively low premiums. Why have the managements not asked for more money? Partly because they can't. Partly, I've got to say it, because they self-enrich. They get change of control. And therefore, you see people selling out that, uh, you know, perhaps are going to get rich themselves. The CEO will get rich without really caring too much about the premium that the companies demand from the Exxons and Chevron. So that's been disappointing. But I think additionally, there's just not that many bids. There's only really Chevron and Exxon that can do these kind of deals. 
Oxy, we've seen pay a pretty high premium for Crown Rock, which was a, a private in the Permian. But generally speaking, these deals have just not been uh, at great multiples, unfortunately, and that's been another negative for the sector. You have an interesting pairs trade that really isn't, we're talking about oil companies and, and mergers and all of this stuff, I'd like to come back to that. But the pair trades is, is fascinating because it's two sort of, you wouldn't think of them uh, together. <laughs> Explain it. Oh, you're talking about tankers versus, tankers EV, versus, versus EVs. EVs? Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I always love to come on here and give you guys, because as traders, you know, give you a trade. No, the, we like to work, we, we as analysts work thematically, and the theme is obviously tankers, you know, for reasons that you can imagine. Mm -hmm. uh, these are dividend-paying companies, so essentially very high rates translate into cash back to shareholders. We like that in oil companies. Tankers, uh, companies like? Um, a, a good example that we like is Ardmore, but there's several of them, uh, STNG, you know, there's several that you can look at, and they're all kind of much of a muchness, to be honest, but, but uh, that's one that we've highlighted. And then on the EV side, it's just a rolling disaster, you know, mm -hmm. frankly. <laughs> yeah. and, and in the past, we've talked about shorting Tesla, and, and in fact, I was talking about shorting Ford at the time, but the question was, why don't you just short Tesla? That would have been a bad trade at the time. But now, Tesla's obviously the standout winner in this sector, but everything else is sort of, especially with the Chinese entering the market and the way they are, it's very concerning for these EV stocks. They're the number one maker now of EVs, right? Uh, the Chinese. Yeah, the dominant, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And of course, they're really batteries on wheels, and so China's position in batteries is also vital for, uh, for the fact they that they can really... control so much of the manufacturer from the right. battery through the... Exactly. Where well, you want to jump in? Yeah, so we're, the Red Sea situation, that, that's sort of mana for heaven for if you're a, a tanker, right? You've got to go around, and, and so you have less supply, and prices go up. I'm wondering, though, looking at Scorpio Tanker, which has run so much, is it, have, we, have we missed the run there? Yeah, I mean, I think it is a bit of a Mickey Mouse trade and coming in lace on it. You know, you probably You're saying a Mickey this. Mouse <laughs> trade on fast money. Who would do that? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think that generally these things have got a bad long-term history of rep and reputation and aren't trusted by the market. But now, if you look at some of the more structural elements, the new tankers coming on, the ability to add tanker capacity, the size of the global oil market, you know, all of these things actually point to more of a long-term structural upside for these names. Very undercovered on Wall Street, almost no coverage. You know, essentially an untrusted group that looks like it's gone up a lot, but you would say could probably do, do, do more with these current tanker rates that we're seeing. All right, Paul, thank you very much. You always bring it. Appreciate always it. Always a pleasure. Yeah, Paul Sankey. Let's trade this, uh, this whole, whole area. Guy, why don't you Well, uh, there are some off? names. I mean, for example, Paul brought this two Octobers ago, Marathon Petroleum. I think it was a $60 stock at the time. It's within a whisper of an all-time high. Still reasonable in terms of valuation. But, uh, you know, I'll say this as well. I understand to a certain extent what's going on here, but Tim talks about this. I've mentioned that these companies, energy companies, are now, their balance sheets have never been better. They're operated better. Their profitability is probably levels we haven't seen. Oil demand, regardless of a global slowdown, is still at pre-COVID levels. All things should line up for these stocks, yet, as Steve mentioned, you have Exxon below 100, Conoco, Chevron not trading particularly well. I think a lot of it has to do with people, again, looking for the technology trade and sort of giving away the energy trade. But I still think the energy trade still should be in your portfolio. Boy, you hear an awful lot, folks, about energy being the area where there's going to be a lot of M&A this year. I mean, is there anything uh, that is on your radar screen that tells you that or tells you the opposite of that, that consolidation is coming in this, in this market? Well, the, Paul just said that there's really two big buyers out there. And they've already made their acquisition. So could there be other acquisitions? Yes. But to the question that I asked Paul originally, when you have the M&A and, and both stocks trade lower, yeah. 
it doesn't really matter. If you look at Hess, Exxon, PXD, um, Chevron, if you look at the whole group, uh, Schlumberger, all of them, they're all trading below all of their moving averages, all of them. Yeah. All right, folks, we'll take a quick break here and all hail the king. Mm. Analysts at Bank of America giving Netflix the crown in the streaming wars. Mm. So should you binge on the sovereign streamer ahead of earnings next week? We will debate that one next. But first, talk about a season of giving. Retail sales data picking up the pace to close out 2023. Very merry holiday shopping season, it seems. And what it says about the consumer when fast money returns. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back in two. You're watching Fast Money here on CNBC. We'll be right back. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. All right, everybody, welcome back to Fast Money. The uh, consumer showing some signs of strength to finish out 2023. December retail sales numbers coming in a little bit hotter than expected. Uh, the headline number rising 0.6% from the prior month, helped by better clothing and accessory sales, as well as online shopping. Retail stocks, though, mostly lower today, with the S&P retail ETF losing six-tenths of a percent. Karen, you're pointing out some other issues here. Let's start with the overall retail picture here and how you characterize the consumer and then step to that idea that you have about malls. So the, I think the consumer is okay, right? Still employed. Wages are growing more slowly, but they're still growing. And I think there was a lot of pessimism coming into uh, this last, the end of last year that in the third quarter, the consumer had markedly slowed. We saw a lot of retail misses. And then, uh, so I think the expectations were low. How that figures into this data, I'm not quite sure. I'm long some retail. I'm mildly optimistic, although I'm, my biggest bet is in um, luxury, which isn't great. Today was particularly not great. Because Your biggest bet uh, on the long retail, side yes, is, is, yes. is luxury. Right. But there's an interesting article. So the actually, LVMH or yes. those, those guys. Yeah. LVMH. But there was an interesting article about that the consumer is really shifting, not wanting to be in the, re the retail malls as much. They're further away. They don't like uh, dealing with parking lots. Uh, they like the outdoor ones better than the enclosed ones. Really? That was sort of interesting to me. Yeah. And that you're, I know that following... Footlocker that they have a big change in that how they want to have their store base not in malls. They want to be away from malls. 
They want to have a bigger standalone superstores like a Dick's Sporting, which might not be in a mall, or if it is, it's it's in an outdoor mall, not and nearer to the consumer. Nearer to the consumer. Any thoughts here, Steve? Yeah. So Tapestry uh, had taken out uh, Capri, a name that I was long. I'm no longer long uh, Capri. I am still long Tapestry, but I've lightened up. It bounced off uh, off the high 20s or mid 20s, And, and I think these names, to Karen's point, are getting exhausted. So Ralph Lauren. Bounced off those lows, too. LVMH is a super high-end name. That one hasn't had that real bounce. It rolled over real early and never really got to a level where you could say, okay, I made some money. Um, But retail, to where Karen started off this conversation, if people have a job, they're going to continue to spend money. And until that softens, you're going to be able to trade these names. You might not be able to be investable, but you'd be able to trade them. Be able to trade not as a long-term hold. Right. Uh, what's that show you do? That Power Lunch? It's going to be called Power Lunch. Yes. I've heard we, you we, talk. we don't have power and we don't serve lunch. <laughs> but, but, but forget it. But, you know, I've, heard you, I've heard you mention the Abercrombie and Fitch from time. That stock has yeah. tripled yeah. now yes. in less than a year. And it's not because the consumer's all of a sudden better. It's because they're operating better. So you have to sort of be careful as to the reasons why. Not that it matters if you're long the stock. But I'll say this. Walmart, I think Piper Jaffrey just had a note. They're going to win in 24. And they're within a whisper of their all-time high. And I do think that chasm between Walmart and Target that sort of contracted a bit as Target bounced is going to expand again. I think Walmart could do really well this year. I'm curious. People don't want to go to indoor malls or or, or that merchants don't want to be in indoor malls. They'd rather be well, I guess it's on, a chicken on and open egg. air malls. If the people don't want to go, then the merchants well, don't want yeah. to be there, right? Yeah. There's yeah. that. Um, I don't know when that sort of started changing. I think when those, I mean, there's been a lot of evolution since the pandemic, right? The malls, yeah. that was a clearly disaster. Yeah. And maybe people got less used to going yeah. to malls where they like the outdoor malls. Because you see the, the way pandemic, Paul Sankey was dressed outside? today? There's no oh, way what? How, he, he wants would... to go to an outdoor mall <laughs> yeah. on a day like today. You, you would think the colder yeah. regions, right, yeah. that the climate would be something, but I think you're onto it with the pandemic. But he reminded me of a Paris trade, though. If you had had on Abercrombie & Fitch long, short NVIDIA last year, you would have made money, yeah. which is astounding. <laughs> That's a Paris trade right there. Well, I mean, you yeah. were an Abercrombie and Fitch model. I know you're not allowed to talk about it. <laughs> I got the abs, right? Yeah. All right. There's a lot more fast to come. We should leave on that note. Here's what's coming up next. King of the streaming jungle. Analysts knighting Netflix ahead of results next week. Why they're so bullish on the media giant and how the rest of the streaming space stacks up. Next. Plus, a choppy China trade. The latest data pointing to a shaky recovery and sending stocks to fresh lows. But are fears overdone? We dig in on the global impact ahead. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. Together with Delta, we're putting 5G into the hands of ground staff so they can better assist on-the-go travelers with real-time information. From the Delta Sky Club to the Jet Bridge, this is elevating customer experience. This is Delta with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.
Welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. We've got a call of the day on Netflix. Bank of America declaring the company the official winner, game over, game set match of the streaming wars in a new note out today. The firm raising its price target to a 585, making it one of the highest uh, such targets on the street. It is more than 20% upside from today's close. The stock basically flat today, but it is up almost 47% over the past year. Guy, I think if I were to say, if, if people were cutting the cord and they say, well, so what, what should I buy now? There's the default answer is Netflix. You're yeah. going to go there first. And they've had a couple stumbles over the last decade or so, but by and large, they've done everything yeah. right. I mean, Reed Hastings is a genius. I think we all agree, obviously, no longer spearheading everything. But with that said, it's his vision. But the question now is, it's gone from a stock that was relatively inexpensive vis-a-vis -vis the market and clearly to itself to now the stock that's more expensive than the market and getting towards levels where you're a little bit concerned. It's Netflix world without question. The reality is, do you wait until earnings and hope you get a pullback, which you've seen before, or do you pile in here and hope the run continues? I'm more inclined to say, wait for earnings, wait for a pullback, and then get a better entry point. What do you think? I mean, what well, was the show I'm, you were telling me to watch on Netflix? What oh, uh, Fool Me Once. Fool Me Once. Yes. Fool Me Once. I got to write it down. Steve also. Steve yes. likes it. You like yes. it. Yes. Two thumbs yeah. up here on the Two desk. Two thumbs yeah, up on the good. desk. One yes. season. One season. Easy. Well, well that's good. That's good. <laughs> right. It's not a big commitment. Don't tell Karen. She right. hasn't finished it yet. <laughs> right. Don't tell me what happens. But I am long Netflix. <laughs> okay. And I, I wrestle this one with this one because the valuation isn't cheap. It's not crazy expensive. I mean, the, the momentum they're having on their ad-supported business is amazing. Um, from this piece, it declares them the clear winner. That's been the case for a while. But how, all the good things that become, that come from being the clear winner, others drop out, right? And content gets cheaper, and they're in a position to be able to pay the most. They have the best, the best balance sheet, the best cash flow. So I don't want to sell it, but uh, it's hard to argue that it's super cheap. I am really warming a lot to the idea of Dominating a business is worth a big premium. Mm -hmm. and, and they that's dominate. what they do. Yeah. That's what they do. Right. And, and if you look at the, so where Karen says if others drop out, if you look at, even if they're not dropping out, they're spending less on content, so which means they're licensing more even when they're still in existence. But if you look at the ad tier, the ad-supported tier for Netflix, they have 23 million monthly active users. Wow. In November, they had 15. Yeah. In May, they had five. So there's still growth in that's that area. Tier. That's the ad tier that is subsidized there, too. So could it go higher? Yes. It is a little, a little toppy here, but I think it still can grind higher. Yeah. All righty. Uh, coming up, the trouble in the China trade, disappointing economic data weighing on the overseas stocks, and major ETFs hitting their lowest levels in more than a year. How you should position yourself in that area next and get ready for some fast movers Ford and some insurance stocks heading in different directions. The reasons behind those moves and whether you should be in or out of the names when Fast Money returns in two minutes. Missed a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money podcast. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. Stocks dropping today, but closing far off their lows of the day. The Dow falling 94 points, now on a three-day losing streak. The S&P and NASDAQ down more than a half percent on the session. Shares of Instacart, however, jumping more than 6% after an upgrade to outperform at Wolf Research. Analysts seeing approximately 50% upside for that name and say a potential merger with Uber could be good for the company. 
Meantime, shares of Spirit Airlines are sinking another 22% today alone after a judge yesterday blocked JetBlue's proposed takeover of the budget airline. Shares of Spirit now down nearly 60% just this week. And that would be two days, right? That's mm. all there is. Uh, Plug Power <laughs> dropping after hours. The company announcing plans for a $1 billion share offering. Meantime, three major China ETFs hitting their lowest levels since late 2022 after the country reported disappointing growth in retail sales data. And our next guest says you'd better not be investing in China with his money. Safanad, chief investment strategist and honorary professor at the Chinese Academy of Sciences, John Rutledge, joins us now. I, I was going to be sarcastic here and say, John, you see nothing but clear skies and butterflies in China, but it is quite the opposite here. I've not heard you quite as down. You say it's just not investable right now. It's really not. You know, well, this is the slow economist on fast money, so I won't, <laughs> I won't have trading tips for you. But, Tyler, the problem is that the headlines are all about the economy. 5.2% growth sounds pretty good. Last year was three, but it's really just the rebound from COVID. So that's not the real issue though. There are structural problems, debt, uh, real estate problems, et cetera, everybody knows about. But the real problem is that it's a place that exists under one man rule. If you wanna know the big risk of investing in China, ask Jack Ma. <laughs> I know Jack since he started Alibaba. And this guy can wake up one morning, have a brain cramp, and whatever you own there means nothing. We've got to remember, when you own a stock or a direct investment, the duration of that investment is roughly 35 years. Do you think you can see 35 years into the future with Mr. Xi Jinping's China? No, ab absolutely not. Uh, it speaks not only to the in investability of, of, of Chinese stocks or ETFs that do business there, but doesn't it speak as well to the viability of American businesses or Western businesses uh, that are doing business there, either as a market or as a manufacturing center? If you're saying that the, the, that the, that the equity business is subject to one-man rule, um, certainly foreign direct investment into plants uh, and into markets there is in jeopardy. Absolutely. Well, Tyler, the, the punchline here is that the new national security law means it's not safe for an expat to be in China. You can be arrested. You could be denied exit from the country at the will of the, of the government. It's just not a safe place to be. Now, if I put on my board of directors hat, of which I am on a bunch of boards, uh, and I think, well, let's say I've already got in investments in China. It's a huge market that's very seductive, but it's not one to take the bite of. The, uh, uh, you have to maintain your existing investments or else they, they fall apart, but you don't have to do it aggressively and you don't have to do new projects. So this last year, China lost $100 billion of FDI and uh, they're gonna keep losing as long as this continues in this way. The decoupling so is one problem, American company, Xi Jinping you're saying is another. I'm hearing you say if you're advising an American company, you're saying if you're there, do not up your capital investment there. And in fact, do the minimum amount of maintenance that you need to do to maintain right. your position. Which is the only safe way to reduce your capital position in China. Otherwise, you can you can sell it at a deep discount to a, to a local. But uh, uh, it, it, it's probably if you do that too aggressively and if you do it too openly, the government will punish you for it. So yeah. you've got to keep saying the right things in China, but not extending yourself any more than you, than you already are. 
Well, I don't know what Apple's doing, but they seem to say the right things. Guy, jump No, in. they do. Mr. Rutledge, put your geopolitical hat on real quick. In early December, President Xi was here. I think three weeks later, we learned that he told President Biden that by any means necessary, we will take Taiwan. I'm paraphrasing to a point. So my question to you is, does the weakness in the Chinese economy make it more or less likely that they were to do something there? Well, I think, as I remember, TSM's earnings are out tomorrow, which is relevant to this this conversation. Uh, yeah, Taiwan, uh, you know, who knows what's going to happen? The problem is in a normal government, in a normal country, there are a lot of people involved in making decisions. So the average of 100 people looks like a normal distribution. So the average of one person looks like one guy. And that's uh, and so he can wake up tomorrow morning and do something aggressive. Now, the recent trouble they've had in the military with corruption, you know, using rocket fuel to to make hot pots and so forth. Uh, is going to is going to make him not want to take that bet or take that chance. But they're very sophisticated information warriors, as are the Russians. So you're going to see a lot about that coming up during this election year, because they're going to think the more they can scare people here in America, the more they can push the uh, they can push the results of the election. All right. Uh, John Rutledge, always good to see you, sir. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thanks, Tyler. Uh, let's uh, trade it. Uh, are, are you with uh, John there and saying that China is not investable? We've said that for a while here. And our, one of our biggest concerns was the FXI. If we can put up a long term 15 year chart and you'll see where it levels today that we're last at October in 2022. And then go back to the financial crisis if you want to go that far. And you'll see. I mean, this this is alarming stuff in terms of this. ETF, and then in terms of the underlying stocks as well. So there will be a point where you can get that capitulation in the in individual names like an Alibaba, but we haven't gotten it yet, Tyler. Thoughts? You know, there, there was a time when we used to worry about investing from America in Alibaba because America would do something to China on trade or what, what have you. Xi Jinping does enough to his own companies to damage it to make make sure that you can't have any uh, future earnings in those stocks. So I think it is uninvestable right now. I think there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes that we have no clue with. So I wouldn't be touching China right now. Yeah, it's very interesting. And, and there, obviously, there's a new regime in in Taiwan. Uh, it would seem natural if you've got a, a, a worrisome economy at home. That is typically when mm -hmm. politicians like to do something That's to distract, right. okay? Yes. Uh, and, and you've got this new uh, leader coming in. He's sort of like the old leader. He's from the same party uh, in Taiwan. Uh, you would think that that would be a time that China might test mm -hmm. Ch Taiwan either before he takes office in May or afterwards. Anyhow, uh, coming up, Ford shifting into neutral after a downgrade from UBS. We will pop open the hood and take a look at why one analyst is putting this automaker up on the blocks. Mm. Plus Schwab in shambles. The brokerage reporting a decline in revenue and profits before the bell. That name is our next guest's top holdings. Uh, where he stands on that stock now and his top value picks. That will be next. All right, everybody, welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a buzzkill, a buzzkill on Ford shares, uh, where, which slipped as much as 3% at its lows after a downgrade from UBS. Analysts saying upside is limited as the company continues to face the, quote, stubborn headwind of warranty and quality issues. So is it 
guy a rough road ahead for Ford? It's been a rough 40 years. If you put up, no, I mean, I'm the kid. Of, go back. I mean, when I started in the John business, Ford was, year it was $11.5 stock. I mean, it's going up and down, but it's an $11.5 <laughs> stock now. And you think about what the broader market has done. Last 10 years, arguably, the best decade for auto sales in our history, maybe in the history of automobiles. They can't get out of their own way. So I'm hard-pressed to understand what compelling reason it would be to get into Ford other than just taking a flyer on a stock that's basically cheap on valuation. Yeah. All right, let's uh, move on to two health insurance names. Bucking today's market downtrend, United Health and Humana among the leaders uh, of the S&P, both up more than a percent. United Health, the biggest winner in the Dow as well. It's one of the most influential stocks in the Dow, given its price of 524. That stock uh, recovering some of its losses from last week's earnings report. Karen, uh, you were watching the moves. Yeah, I mean, I like the space. I'm long Elevance, which is the old well point. I think they're not expensive. United Health, was that in your one of your trades guy i don't know UNH? if unh was who knows Just the what, workhorse we do this thing where we put letters together and, oh yeah what are they called word acronym acronym something yeah mine aren't very i good. like the U -N -H. spaces if you turned it around it would be what h and u knew yeah who knew <laughs> you'd be very bad at this game <laughs> right. really really you couldn't have done any worse than we did no <laughs> i thought it was going to be hun h-u-n no all right. All right. That would work. Are we done here? Yeah. I Probably. mean, they're not the most exciting group, but they do turn no, out nice earnings. Exciting. You're in, you're out. They're companies I love to hate, insurance companies. I got to mm. tell you, I'm just not fans of theirs. But that's okay. We'll leave that for another mm. conversation. Coming up, another tough day for Charles Schwab after its latest earnings report. But one value investor sees a lot of opportunity in that name. What Wall Street may be getting wrong when fast money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. Shares of Charles Schwab climbing back after falling as much as 7% today, closing about 1% lower. That's quite an improvement. The firm reporting a better-than-expected fourth-quarter profit and a slight revenue miss before the bell. It has, however, been an ugly month for Schwab, tumbling about 8% so far this year. Uh, jitters surrounding money outflows and uncertainty weighing on the stock, but one value investor sees opportunity here. Alex Fitch is with Oakmark Funds, managing the Oakmark Select and the Oakmark Equity and Income Funds. Alex, welcome. Good to have you here. You guys at Oakmark are, are sort of value-oriented. Is Schwab a value? Yeah, I really think it is. Um, you've had this headwind that, that's been going on for 12 to 18 months here where the rise in interest rates has pressured the balance sheet. You've had clients moving cash out of Schwab's bank into other alternatives. You've had a securities loss in their portfolio. There's been a lot weighing on the earnings profile. Um, the way we look at it, that competitive moat, though, the thing that has made Schwab special for decades is very much intact. They're gathering assets. They're growing the earnings power of the business. And in the coming years, in our view, we're going to see the earnings actually catch up with that business improvement. How have they done at integrating the, um, the mergers and acquisitions that they've uh, done? Yeah, the Ameritrade deal specifically, I think, has been yep. the biggest integration. Uh, it's yes. been slow. It, it's been a number of years. They've been very deliberate about building out the capabilities to ensure it's seamless. I think at the time of the deal, they said they would lose 4% of assets once they completed the integration. Uh, the latest update is it's coming in below that. Now, there have been moments when that's weighed on the growth, um, but the core Schwab platform, the Schwab customers, you've continued to have those 6% organic flows. And 
over time, that's very powerful. That's a lot of operating leverage and a lot of earnings growth that comes from that natural business tailwind. Karen, you have a question. Yeah, uh, thanks for being on. How, where are they in terms of their cash sorting crisis being over, and how do you expect their earnings to bounce back? Yeah, it, that's been the big headwind. For 12 to 18 months, it's been the persistent cash sorting that has really prevented Schwab from capitalizing on what everyone thought would be a good thing, which is higher interest rates. Um, they've worked through the vast majority of accounts, the vast majority of balances, and the thing that's so encouraging to us is that today we are finally back to balance sheet growth at Schwab. So the subdued pace of sorting is being swamped by the natural growth of the business. And so you saw the balance sheet increase this quarter, accelerate in November and December, and that's going to really change the earnings trajectory for Schwab, uh, closing the gap between what's happening in the business fundamentally and the earnings profile because it gives you all of this incremental cash that you can use to get rid of the very expensive funding that you've been filling that hole with in the interim. And so there's a lot of latent earnings power here that this trend changing is going to allow them to finally realize. All right, Alex, thanks very much. We appreciate your time today and taking us through your positions on Charles Schwab. Let's trade it, guys. Steve, thoughts on Schwab or so, on financials generally? Yeah, so if you go, well, first of all, financials, it's J.P. Morgan's world. And then you get Wells, that's sort of a hybrid of both when you go to regionals or a bigger bank. But when you look at this on a chart, when you look at Charles Schwab in particular, if you go back to where the regional bank collapse happened, it still has not made it back to that level. That's troubling for me. That mm -hmm. told me that the only ones that you should be buying are big banks because they're the ones during a crisis, like a J.P. Morgan, who are going to the gobble up all, the, all yeah. the little ones. Mm -hmm. So, yes, you can make money trading these. If you're going to be long for any extent of time, I think you're better off suited to be with a name like a J.P. Morgan. Karen, thoughts here? I don't know. I sort of find it intriguing. I mean, they're somewhat of a different business. I think of them a little bit more closer to Morgan Stanley without the... Investment banking, asset management, and trading. So I'm kind of intrigued. I think if they are through this cash sorting, and it does seem like they, they are, um, I think it's interesting. I'm curious what happened from where it opened and traded down terribly to the end of the day. i got to go listen to the call. Some, something happened. Right. All righty. Let's, uh, we'll take a break here. When we come back, we'll do some final trades. It is time now for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. We've got about uh, 35 seconds. Steve, you go first. Everyone keeps telling me there's going to be a soft economy. Everyone keeps telling me we're running into some headwinds, and I should not be looking at a stock like Marriott, but the chart seems to be levitating. Levitating. That's like Dua Lipa. Yeah. Karen. You know, we were just talking about how important it is to go with the best, going with the very best in the banking space, JP. Ooh, there you go. And and Jamie on this morning. Guy, you're Speaking fit. of the best, you are, Tyler <laughs> Matt. Ah, I love Tyler. that. Coca-Cola, KO. That's about as good as it gets. Pop yourself a Coke. Thanks for watching Fast Money, Mad Money right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries 
series warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.